News. I'm Anthony. And I'm Alex. And my first story today is space news. And this is from NASA.gov. The headline is NASA's new flying robots being in space for the first time. They're robot bees. They're space bees. B, okay, being. That's, yeah. I was going to say, that, that's some interesting grammar. <laughs> <laughs> That was that was why. Yeah. Uh, bees are known to be both busy and hardworking, and NASA's new free-flying space robots called Astro Bee will soon have the same reputation. Unlike bees that live on Earth, the robots will do their work flying alongside astronauts inside the International Space Station and will play a critical role in supporting innovative and sustainable exploration of the Moon, Mars, and beyond. Astro Bee is a free-flying robot system that will provide a research platform for the orbiting laboratory. The system includes three robots named Honey, Queen, and Bumble. That's that's delightful. As well as a docking station for recharging. Bumble, is it shaped like a flower? No, it's shaped like a like a box, actually. Like like a beehive. It doesn't look like a bee at all. Oh, actually, it's I don't know why they're calling them bees. It's just a flo- It's like a flying box with like cameras all over it. Oh, the bees themselves are boxes. Yeah, it's like a robot that's the, this, uh, like a, a square. The a charging cube. station. It's a cube, this, I meant. But the charging station, is it shaped like a, is it oh, shaped like a flower? I don't know. That's I did not I, see a photo of the charging station. That's what I was hoping for. <gasps> That'd be amazing. I just realized what you were And actually, it would at. be even funnier if there was a bunch of little boxes flying to a flower. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Um, but I don't know. I did not see a photo of the charging station. Okay. Bumble and Honey both arrived on the International Space Station about a month ago and are currently going through a series of checks. Queen will join them in July. Hmm. The main purpose of the Astrobee platform is to provide a zero-gravity testbed for guest scientists to try out new robotic technologies in space, said Maria Bulat, Astrobee project manager at NASA's AMES Research Center in California, Silicon Valley. Astrobee will prove our robotic capabilities that will enable and enhance human exploration. Performing such experiments in zero gravity will ultimately help develop new hardware and software for future space missions. Hmm. Propelled by electric fans, the robots can fly and navigate automatically inside the space station using their built-in software and six cameras. So they just like, fl- they fly around, which is awesome. So like <laughs> kind of like little drones, but mm-hmm. since it's in space, they don't need to... Like propel themselves off the ground. I think they just so. Propel I think themselves that's, around. Yeah, that's I think so that's cool. the idea. Um, and they're also designed to assist astronauts in everyday tasks, like housekeeping chores, uh, monitoring equipment, uh, performing inventory, freeing. Um, and the idea is that they can free up time for the astronauts to do other tasks. And what housekeeping chores exactly does a small flying box? I don't know, oh, but boy. maybe it can like dust. Oh, because it like blows the dust. <laughs> maybe it can just blow things in space. It would just. <laughs> Wait, is that a problem in space? Probably not. <laughs> yeah, dust settling isn't really a concern. <laughs> I just realized that. I don't know. Um, I'm just like picturing these little boxes like bumping up into the side of the space station, attempting to do something. I don't know. Well, maybe the monitoring the equipment. Which I mentioned, maybe that yeah. was meant 
That's as like a quote unquote housekeeping, housekeeping chore. That yeah. makes more sense. Yeah. So, so yeah. So there's these little, little, uh, futuristic cool. little drone robot things humming around in the space station, that's, helping the astronauts. That's so cool. That's so, that's mm-hmm. very sci-fi. I know. Sci-fi becoming <laughs> real. Bit. Yeah. It's real. Space robots. It's the future. Yay. My next story is my first story, I guess, is food news. This comes from Vox. Uh, I don't know why I keep bringing these stories or starting with them, but I'm just fascinated by them. Little Caesars is the latest chain where you can try out meatless meat. Oh. Yeah. It's another. Okay. It's another impossible news. Yeah. Another impossible. It should just be impossible news. (laughs) Impossible Um, news. (laughs) uh, The pizza chain announced on Monday that it is testing out pizzas with sausage from Impossible Foods at locations in Florida, New Mexico, and Washington State. Uh, Little Caesars and Impossible Foods have reportedly been working together on the sausage since October. They've never sold sausage before. Uh, oh, it's uh, Impossible Foods is known for its ground beef and burger offerings, but they developed this sausage specifically for Little Caesars. Oh, I don't know why, but when you when you said they've never sold sausage, I thought you meant Little Caesars. <laughs> New to Little Caesars sausage. I was like, what? They're a uh, pizza yeah. place. I should have specified. And then I realized is, a second later. But This is new to Impossible Foods, to, who yeah, are mostly that, known that for That makes more sense. So it's been an incredible few months for Impossible Foods and its competitors in the plant-based meat industry. Uh, we already know about the Impossible Whopper, mm-hmm. uh, but there's also White Castle, which has been selling Impossible Foods sliders. Uh, Carl's Jr. sells burgers from their competitor, Beyond Meat. Um, and oh. Qdoba announced that they'd be offering the Impossible Bowl and the Impossible Taco at all their U.S. locations. Oh, that's so cool. I didn't know Qdoba was still yeah. around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they are. Okay. They are. Well, they still, I, I've said this for a while, but they used to be, the, you know, if you want queso, you go to Qdoba. Yeah. And now it's still, I, I feel like think if you, you want still, queso, you still go to Qdoba. It's been a long time since I've been to Qdoba, obviously, because <laughs> I thought they were all gone. Um, but I remember their queso was actually queso, whereas Chipotle is still weird cheese broth. It's, it's weird. I don't like it. I don't like it either. It's too thin. Um, it'll probably be a long time before these alternative meats can replicate the feel of a steak, even though engineers are hard at work at that. So apparently that's something that they're working on. I'm very intrigued by a steak I would be curious to see if they could make that. Yeah, that's probably a pretty difficult challenge. Yeah. Um, in the meantime, they're finding their niche with burgers and ground beef and now sausage. Cool. So, that's another another impossible foods yeah, item on the line. We lineup. have to get one of these we really things do. and bring it in here, I right? still haven't tried any of this meatless meat. It, like I said, it's been a while. I have, but it's been a while. But we, we should try it on the show. That'd be so fun. Yeah, we should. We'll have to do that soon. Do a blind taste test. Yeah. Okay, my next story is actually also food news. Good thing I just ate. (laughs) This is from NPR. This one is um, not as lighthearted, I guess, but the headline is, (laughs) it's not just salt, sugar, and fat. Study finds ultra-processed foods drive weight gain, which is probably something we kind of knew already. Mm, We just weren't willing to admit to ourselves. So I learned today that there's a difference between processed foods and ultra processed foods did you know this 
No. So I'm also learning this. Yeah. So there's two types of processed foods. Processed foods are foods that are made. So like bread and ultra processed foods are craft singles. Yeah. No. (laughs) (laughs) Ultra process is basically like there's multiple processing steps. So it's not just like one Mm. or two. I don't know what the threshold is. but It's not just one. Um. Okay, so over the past 70 years, ultra-processed foods have come to dominate the U.S. diet. These are foods made from cheap industrial ingredients and engineered to be super tasty and generally high in fat, sugar, and salt. The rise of ultra-processed foods has coincided with growing rates of obesity, but is it something about the highly processed nature of these foods itself that drives people to overeat? A new study suggests the answer is yes. Oh, good. The study, conducted by researchers at the National Institutes of Health, or NIH, is the first randomized, fully controlled trial to show that eating a diet made up of ultra-processed foods actually drives people to overeat and gain weight compared with a diet made up of whole or minimally processed foods. Uh, Study participants on the ultra-processed diet ate an average of 508 calories more per day and ended up gaining an average of two pounds over a two-week period. People on the unprocessed diet, meanwhile, ended up losing about two pounds on average over a two-week period. Hmm. So this is a quote. The difference in weight gain for one group and weight loss for the other during these two periods is phenomenal. We haven't seen anything like this, says Barry Popkin, a nutrition (laughs) professor at the University of North Carolina. It's been a while since we've had a name that good. That's very, that's very good. Barry Popkin. Barry Popkin. Isn't that amazing? I knew you would like that. Yeah. Mary Poppins' cousin. We, we love you, Barry. Um, the University of North Carolina, uh, who has studied the role of ultra-processed foods in the American diet, but was not involved in this current research. Uh, the dean of Tufts University Friedman School of Nutrition, Science, and Policy agrees that the findings are striking. He says what's so impressive was that the NIH researchers documented this weight gain, even though each meal offered um, on the two different diets contained the same total amount of calories, fats, protein, sugar, salt, carbohydrates, and fiber. Like, it was super controlled. That must have been some puzzle to solve to make two diets, yeah, right. like, with those, so, like, categories of food, but so, the same nutritional quality. Yeah, yeah. So what they did is they actually had the participants, like, stay at their facility at the NIH, and they all their meals were prepared for them. And so they were, like, very specifically controlled with, like, what was in the food. So all of that weight gain is attributed to the fact that it was just this highly processed food. Yeah. Because they weren't, so yeah. if they were staying there, they weren't allowed to have snacks or anything. No, like it they wasn't, weren't, all of their food was completely controlled and they monitored like different things like their hormone levels and like all sorts of like biological stuff. Oh my God. And the only variable was that the one group was eating this highly ultra processed stuff versus like the same actual nutritional content, but just in not ultra processed That's- form insane that is right? that is so cool i love science <laughs> well i love science too but i actually liked this because it was like kind of very targeted towards like one variable yeah. you know and it's like okay let's actually look at like okay if these people eat a diet that arguably has all the same like what well, people say like oh it's like fat and carbs and whatever mm-hmm. well these people ate that diet of the same, same stuff. macros like it's the same macros yeah that's but it just was so like in cool. whole foods and stuff instead of the that's like yeah. the purest science. Just like change one variable yeah. and see what happens. That's what they did. I so love it. I love it. So they found that the ultra process actually was like 
causing it. And they went into more details about why, why, and they think it actually was because the nature of the food actually like people ate more, like they felt like they needed to eat more. But that doesn't explain these people because you said they weren't um, allowed to eat more. So they, so I think what they did is they actually let them eat like a little bit of like different amounts, but they controlled they knew like exactly what people ate to like. Oh, okay. So they uh, so they could, could control for that. Okay, if that, that makes, makes sense. sense. Yeah. yeah. So they let them choose like how much of it they wanted to eat. So they weren't forcing them to like eat any specific okay. amount of it necessarily. Okay. 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 That makes sense. So it it discussed how like the people in the group with the ultra processed actually like it took more food for them to feel full basically, mm. and it was like they ended up just eating more calories because of that. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I, I thought it was fascinating. I wonder yeah. what about what it so, is about that food that makes you do that, though. Like, I, they don't know. They hypothesize that it was like it's just easier to eat or whatever, just because mm, the way it is. Like, it's it, easier to like chew and digest and stuff because I mean, it's so like. This is why I know, don't processed. keep. This is, but I, this is also why I don't keep snacks in my house because like ease of access makes it that much easier to just be like, mm-hmm. no, I'll just have some. Yeah, and exactly, exactly. So anything that makes eating easier, I think, probably would lead to. I mean, it um, makes sense when you think about it. Right. So I, I tried to find like a list of things that fit into this category and it's kind of craft know, singles. It was hard. But yeah, def- definitely craft singles. Craft singles probably. are the, probably, the, probably main, the main thing. Um, so I found on a different website, heartandstroke.ca. I don't know what website that is, but they had a list. So I'm using doesn't, that, that list. doesn't sound great. Examples include... <laughs> I think it was for like it was like a health website. It was yeah. like, here's how to have a stroke. <laughs> um, their examples included soft drinks, chips, chocolate, which I feel like it's probably only some types of chocolate, like, like Hershey's. High, like Hershey's kind of stuff, um, candies, ice cream, sweetened bre- breakfast cereals, Uh-oh. packaged soups, mm. uh, chicken nuggets, hot dogs, um, fries, even depending on. You know, the brand probably, like, I think if you're like at home chopping up potatoes, that's fine. But if you're like buying like a frozen processed fries or something. Like, I'm just calling out all the brands. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. So it's, it's interesting. I'm probably going to do more research on like what actually counts as like a lightly processed versus like an ultra processed food. Yeah, that's what I was. It's a a little bit unclear to me still. Introduce that delineation. I'd never really thought of it before, except Mm -hmm. for obviously craft singles are definitely an ultra processed (laughs) food. There's no way. (laughs) (laughs) There's no way that's not ultra processed. (laughs) (laughs) My next story is science news. I just realized this. This comes from a website called sciencenews.org. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Um, The kilogram just got a revamp, and a unit of time might be next. What? Did you hear about this? No, they're revamping units. (laughs) Um, Updates to scientists' system of measurement went into force on Monday, redefining the kilogram and several other units in the metric system. Wait, they redefined the kilogram? I mean, by a very small amount. So you won't notice a difference. But um, so the kilogram is no longer defined by this 130-year-old metal cylinder that's under glass in a secret location near Paris called Le Grand K. Which it's a, it's just this piece. It's a piece of, of metal that weighs a kilogram and was used as like the standard. The up ultimate until now. like calibrating mm-hmm. thing. Okay. Um, 
So now it's determined by a quantum quali- quantity known as the Planck constant, which I'm sure you've heard of, um, but it's, de- it's now defined in terms of that. Um, the Planck constant is based on physicist Max Planck's theory that electromagnetic energy at a given frequency could only be emitted in discrete amounts or quanta whose energy is proportional to a constant H, that constant H being Planck constant, the, uh, the Planck uh. constant. Um, and the value, which is an immutable constant of nature, is the same everywhere in space and time. So moving the kilograms definition to be that instead of an arbitrary cylinder in, in France... I see. Means that they have a more precise and exact measurement that they're basing all of their sciencey things off of, to put it technically. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, Great description. So scientists at the 26th General Conference on Weights and Measures in Versailles also redefined the Kelvin, the Ampere, and the Mole. And next, they're looking at changing the second. Oh. So they're going to redefine the you know, fundamental unit of time. Um, (laughs) That can only be good, right? Um, I thought this is really fascinating. Uh, The second is defined by atomic clocks made of cesium atoms. That's currently. Those atoms absorb a certain frequency of light, and the wiggling of the light's electromagnetic waves functions like the pendulum on a clock, rhythmically keeping time. One second is defined as 9,192,631,770 oscillations of the light. So it's like that rapidly that it's, that it's swinging like this pendulum. Um, however, there's a new generation of atomic clocks known as optical atomic clocks that operate at an even higher frequency, so their ticks are more closely spaced, making them about 100 times more precise than the cesium clocks. And they're thinking they're going to redefine the second in terms of those clocks. Because the more precise they can get, the more like precise all their measurements are. Whoa. Right? I yeah. didn't know any of this. I thought I this was really cool. I never heard that. That is cool. Um, and like I alluded to earlier, the changes to all these measurements will be imperceptibly small to the average person. So like anything that you're using that weighs however many kilograms now will still weigh that amount yeah. to you. It, the number of significant digits you'd have to go to to, like, to see a difference. Actually see a difference would be kind of small. absurd. Um, but for science, it's good. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I don't know why, but when you, when you said they were going to redefine the second, I was just imagining a world where like they did this and it's like, oh, with the new definition of the second, it's now really the year... 2001 yeah, or something to, like they just like recalculate the calendar somehow like that doesn't make any sense but yeah <laughs> <that's> like, <laughs> no changing changing that would not uh would not affect i think it would be like i don't even i don't think you could even probably i don't think we have like a prefix for the second that it would be like the um, like we got like nanoseconds much smaller than that mm-hmm. i don't even i having trouble remembering what the other ones are. Um, but like, it would be so tiny. I doubt we even have a prefix for it. So it's probably like a hundred times 10 to the negative. Yeah. Of, of a, of an hour. <laughs> yeah. That's, you know. right. yeah. <laughs> I'm a scientist. That's, that's cool. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. I thought so. So yeah. they, they just, can maybe, do that apparently. <laughs> maybe they will use this to redo that experiment where they sit for 14 years and watch the clocks. Do you remember when we talked about that? Yes. They could do that experiment 
and have even more precise measurement of time. It's true. Wow. Maybe they will. Yeah. They probably they will. Probably, I don't know. <laughs> it's a really long time. But Who knows? Yeah. They may, they're looking at changing this in the, in the 2020s. Like, so the next decade, oh, okay. the second, but the other ones, gotcha. the, the other ones went into effect today, actually, Monday oh. when we're recording. Oh, so cool. The kilogram is now different. If you, if you feel like you've gained or lost a little weight, that's probably <laughs> why. It's not the processed food. It's almost certainly the craft singles you were eating earlier. My next story is health news. And this is from TechCrunch. The headline is, Facebook releases a trio of maps to aid with fighting disease outbreaks. That sounds good. Mm-hmm. Facebook has announced a new initiative focused on using its data and technologies to help nonprofit organizations and universities working in public health better map the spread of infectious diseases around the world. Specifically, the company is introducing three new maps, or map types, population density maps with demographic estimates, movement maps, and network coverage maps. These, says Facebook, will help the health partners to understand where people live, how they're moving, and if they have connectivity, all factors that can aid in determining how to respond to outbreaks and where supplies should be delivered. Now, I know what you're thinking. This sounds creepy. I mean, at this point with Facebook, I, I, just, assume, with I just assume they know everything about me. Um, I, I can no longer be creeped out by them because they've already they've done everything. Yeah, right. That's where, that's where I'm at. <laughs> Uh, As Facebook explained, health organizations rely on information like this when planning public health campaigns, but much of the information they rely on is outdated, like older census data. In addition, information from more remote communities can be scarce. The new high-resolution population density maps will estimate the number of people living within 30-meter grid tiles and provide insights on demographics, including, for example, the number of children under 5, or the number of women of reproductive age, as well as young and elderly populations. Are you creeped out yet? Okay, yeah, why, why would they know little kids? Little kids can't be on Facebook. How do they know where those kids are? So um, they don't, it's not actually using Facebook's data. They're using, um, <laughs> this what? is going to be my next <laughs> sentence. Oh, okay. The maps aren't built using Facebook oh. data, <laughs> but are instead built by using Facebook's AI capabilities along with satellite imagery and census information. So are you got, creeped out yet? So they have satellite pictures of little kids? That's creepy. Yeah, now I'm creeped out. I'm just going to keep being like, is, does this sound creepy yet to you? Yeah, because no, you got I there. I read this. <laughs> you got no, there. No, they, they apparently like are using satellite photos to estimate population density in different areas of the world. Sure. That's what this article says. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how they're doing that. I don't know um, if I want to know. By combining the new maps with other public health data, Facebook believes organizations will be better equipped to address epidemics. So, yeah. So my feelings on this whole thing are, yeah, that sounds great, Facebook. That sounds like a great application of this really kind of creepy thing that you have here. Yep. I guarantee they're going to use it for other stuff, yeah, too. Yeah, no. It sounds <laughs> super... Is, mm, what they're telling us about sounds super noble. But I don't know what they're not telling us about. Yeah. And that creeps me out a little and bit. And like I don't think they're I don't think they're like invading anyone's privacy or anything. It's just like it's just they're trying to estimate demographic data of different areas. Like yeah. but I guarantee they're gonna use that for other stuff too. Oh, for sure. But yeah, but I mean this does make sense 
to help with like if there's like an outbreak of some some type of like epidemic or something that they could use this to help figure out um where they need to provide relief first and different different things like that i guess so yeah um huh. that's kind of cool but it's also cool a little but bit also like a little hmm, upsetting yeah hmm, i don't know how i feel about this yeah yeah my next story is technology news This is from techspot.com. Really appropriate URLs for all these stories. Mm -hmm. Um, Meteorologists claim 5G phones could reduce the accuracy of weather forecasts by 30%. Why? That's what I'm setting out to answer. Um, 5G networks have the potential to advance wireless data transmission by orders of magnitude, but at what cost? (laughs) I love that. I I love that phrase. I love that in an article, but at what cost? (laughs) Um, according to meteorologists, it'll be to the detriment of weather forecasts. Um, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration acting chief, Neil Jacobs, recently told the House Subcommittee on the Environment that interference from 5G devices could reduce the accuracy of weather forecasts by 30%, which would make them roughly equivalent to the accuracy of weather predictions from 1980. So setting us back uh, 40 years. Um, A setback of that caliber would give coastal residents two or three fewer days to prepare for a hurricane and lead to incorrect predictions of a storm's path to land. So that's kind of the level of things we could talk about. The issue is related to the 24 gigahertz frequency band that the FCC started auctioning off to wireless carriers in March. Um, Water vapor emits a faint signal in the atmosphere at 23.8 gigahertz, which is very close to what's being auctioned off. So, like, apparently different types of weather give off different frequencies of signals that they're able to detect with satellites as opposed to, like, like visually seeing things. Yeah. so if all this phone traffic is now on the uh, at this frequency, it's going to interfere with our ability yeah. to properly detect water vapor, which would be used for humidity. Um, and patterns of humidity can be fed into algorithms, which can be used to determine weather patterns. Yeah. Uh, worse yet, the issue isn't limited to the 24 gigahertz band. Future FCC auctions are close to ones that are used to detect rain and snow which is at the 36 to 37 gigahertz range. Um, atmospheric temperature at the 50.2 to 50.4 gigahertz range. And ice and clouds, at, which is in the 80 to 90 gigahertz range. So basically the FCC is selling off all of these frequency bands and the weather people are like, hey, we need those to do weather. <laughs> to do hey, weather um, forecasting good we need we need those we need those the, for us for the weather um one of the people in the article yeah. said if we could move to a different frequency we would but we can't because <laughs> i'm not confident that the fcc knew this i guess after thinking about it for a few minutes um yeah. But I would have hoped that they would know this or that someone in the weather industry would have brought it up to them. Yeah, it seems obscure enough that maybe you wouldn't know unless you were specifically in meteorology. Like, I didn't know this was part of it. Not that I would have any reason to. It's really disappointing, though, because 5G phones are going to be really fast. They're going to be so fast, Alex. Well, would you rather have that or accurate weather predictions? 
I don't know. We live in Ohio, so accurate weather predictions don't really mean a whole lot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. But for yeah. people in hurricane yeah. uh, impacted areas, that seems like it could be an actual problem. Right. All right. Well, now it's time for breaking news. The part of the show where Anthony and I look up stories that just happened today or were just posted today and we read them to you on the fly. Craft singles. Ready, set, go! Go! Okay, I found something on abcnews.com and the headline is Great White Shark Spotted in Long Island Sound for First Time Ever. Hmm. Very close. So those aren't supposed to be there. They're not supposed to be there, I guess. Ooh. <laughs> is, that the, is that the whole story? That's the whole story. No. Um, <laughs> a sub-adult great white shark measuring nearly 10 <laughs> Wait, feet long. That's sub-adult? what it says. A sub-adult. So a juvenile. I don't know. Maybe it's an adolescent. <laughs> it's a teen. It's teen. like a young adult. It's like a in cool the 20s teen, Cool shark teen years. shark hanging out. <laughs> Teen shark hanging out in Long Island. Teen shark loitering. Um, uh, it's, in a, it's a great white shark measuring nearly 10 feet long, has been tracked in Long Island Sound off the Connecticut shore for the first time ever, uh, marine researchers said today. Uh, the great white is actually being tracked by a research group called O-Search. <laughs> It's like a mix between the word ocean and research. Oh, no. Like O-C-E-A-R-C-H is how it's spelled. Well, they tried. O-Search. And they've been tracking the shark since last year. Um, And then they tweeted about it, and apparently you can go to (laughs) O-Search.org. I can't say that word without laughing. Um, And you can actually follow the tracking. Like, you can see where it's at. Oh. So they have a website set up for that. Um. And apparently he uh, went right up to the beach off the shore of uh, uh, Connecticut. So good, good, good. uh, Be careful if you live in Connecticut and you're at the beach. Now you got to worry about sharks. Um, Yeah, so that's about it. So if you want to see where the shark's at, there's a website you can see. So go track it at this unpronounceable website. (laughs) Oh, shirt. Oh, shirt. Oh, shirt. That's, I'm hoping that's correct. I feel like they could have just gone with O-Search. Yeah, that would have been so much easier. Yeah. But no, they decided to put a You'd C in there. They'll get the pun in there, but yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. um, I found a story in the New York Post. Uh, Vienna beef recalls over 2,000 pounds of hot dogs due to possible metal contamination. No, metal. <laughs> metal. Oh, man, we've had little wood pieces. Now it's I metal. It just, it just keeps getting worse. Uh, Vienna Beef Limited, based out of Chicago, has uh, issued the recall for approximately 2,030 pounds of, quote, skinless beef frankfurters. What does that mean? Why does it have to be skinless? Wait, skinless? Yeah. Wait, they don't have skin. Unless there's skin ground up in there. Like, what does that mean? I don't know. I don't want to find out. Um, uh, so these packages bear specific product packaging codes and were shipped to Illinois, Indiana, and Wisconsin. So we're good. Uh, according to a <laughs> USDA product recall uh, notice issued this past Saturday. Uh, so I guess it's not super breaking. 
Um, no one has reportedly been injured by the contaminants, which are described as, quote, extraneous materials, specifically metal. Like, how, what, how does that happen? I also am really curious what kind of metal it is, because that makes a difference. I mean, you don't want to eat it either way, but like, you know, is it, it copper? Be... Is it lead? <laughs> I hope not. No, it's probably like some little metal shavings off the equipment that manufactures it yeah, or something that's that just best. got in there, like particulate that's... or something. Yeah, I think that's our best guess, but yeah. they didn't go into more detail than that it was extraneous. Uh, the possible contaminants were said to be discovered at a Vienna beef facility, though the notice did not specify which one. Um, but it, So it was caught at the facility, um, but mm-hmm. after product had gone out. Mm. Uh, the USDA Food Safety and Inspection Service is urging any food service institutions to discard of or return any packages of skinless beef frankfurters that contain the establishment code ENT1. So okay. if you're a food service institution, get rid of those those hot dogs. I almost said burgers. That's different. <laughs> yeah. Don't really want to think about a skinless, skinless burger. Skinless burger. <laughs> What, what would a non-skinless burger look like? Horrifying. <laughs> it's like a chicken thigh with like a skin, but it's like a burger patty instead of the chicken. Oh, man. Chicken skin is really good, though. Right. So, so it actually it would, probably would taste it good. It might be really good. Yeah. Anyway. All right. That's our show. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. We post episodes every Friday. And as always, the links to this week's stories will be in the episode description. You can subscribe to Knickknack News on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever other app you'd like to use. And you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash News and on Twitter at, at News. All right. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Cry singles.